We come to our next to last broadcast in our series of six talks on questions that women ask. We have decided to have this six broadcast series because there are so many women who listen to this broadcast who have these very questions. From among the many hundreds of kinds of questions that women ask us every week at our counseling center here in, in Philadelphia, we find that there are some that occur again and again and again. And it is some of those most frequently asked questions that we've tried to consider in these six broadcasts. The first question was, what must I do to keep from becoming depressed? On that broadcast, I said that women and preachers have a tendency to get depressed more readily than some others because they're the ones who must self-discipline themselves and keep the schedules uh, because they have nobody else to tell them to do so. A man who goes to work from 9 to 5 and who has to produce a certain amount by noon and a certain amount by 5, and he has supervisors working over him to make sure it's done, doesn't get depressed. But somebody who can get behind in his work is the person who gets depressed. I went into that in a lot of detail, and there's a little pamphlet called What Do You Do When You Get Depressed? That if you missed that broadcast and you'd like to hear something about this question, we'd be glad to send you if you write to the Christian Counseling and Educational Center, and that is in Chestnut Hill, Pennsylvania, 19118. That pamphlet would be free of charge. The second question we dealt with was, how do I get along with my mother-in-law? And I suggested there that you read carefully Genesis 2.28 2, and read that prayerfully and gently with your husband, trying to show how he must leave his parents and cleave to you, and also that from your perspective you read Romans 12.18, which says that you have the obligation that so far as any relationship depends upon you, even with a mother-in-law, that you are to be at peace with everybody. And that means by peace, not just a cessation of war, but it's that Hebrew shalom idea, that idea of a positive, wonderful relationship with another. Then we talked about the matter of forgiving and forgetting. And we said that forgiveness is the only route to forgetting. If a person says, I can forgive, but I don't know how to forget, he doesn't really understand or he doesn't really mean it when he says, I forgive. Because forgiveness is a promise not to bring up the issue to the person, to anybody else, or to sit and brood on it yourself. Not to bring up the sin again. God says, your sins and your iniquities I will remember against you no more. And so when a person forgives, when he really doesn't dwell on this matter in his own heart anymore, puts it out of his mind and puts his mind on profitable, mind-engaging things that fit Philippians 4 when it says, let your mind dwell on these things, then he quickly forgets. It's the people who sit and brood in self-pity who can't forget. You bring that on yourself. And then last time we talked about this question. How can I have a good sexual relation with a husband who is affectionate only when he wants sex? And we tried to say that this has its problems, but you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Your job is not to satisfy yourself. If you're saying, how can I turn myself on when my husband doesn't do anything to help me, that's not your problem. Your problem is to turn him on in counseling, your in, in sex. Your problem is to satisfy him. Your problem is to bring to him uh, the kind of satisfaction that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7 when he says that 
His body belongs to you, and your body belongs to him. Your job is to bring satisfaction to him. Your sexuality does not exist in order to bring satisfaction to you. You must do everything possible to see that he is fulfilled in this relationship as well as in all others. So your job is to be affectionate yourself and to be loving yourself and to be kindly yourself and even to take the initiative in sexual relations and foreplay. If you do everything you can to turn him on, you will find that he'll be turned on. Now, today we ask the fifth question. How can I get my husband to assume leadership in the home? Well, there are two answers to that. First, not by doing so yourself. Any wife who thinks that she can encourage her husband to assume the leadership in the home by stepping into his shoes is making a tragic mistake. The woman is not called the head of the home. Only the husband has that role. And when women become dominant in the home and try to take over when their husbands fail, they make a gross mistake. The mistake is this. Two people cannot occupy the same space of ground at the same time in the same way. If your feet are in his shoes, then he can't put them on himself. You leave those shoes empty for him. You make clear to him that you shine them, that you polish them, that you put them alongside of his bed every day, make them ready for him to wear, encourage him to put them on in every possible way, not nagging him, not browbeating him about it, not demanding that he do, do it, not keeping after him until he's tired of hearing about it, not littering the house with pamphlets and tracts and booklets that talk about the husband's headship and responsibility, but in every helpful way that you can, encouraging him to take that leadership. Bringing help is the way, secondly, to really make a husband the leader of the home. Assume that he's going to take the leadership. Assume that he's going to make the decisions he ought to make. Assume that he is going to do the things that he should do. Don't assume the opposite. Assume this and then bring the help, bring the encouragement. You see, your job as a wife is not to take the leadership, but to be a helper. Remember when God created the wife, he said, I'm going to make her a helper. That's what the word help in the King James in 1611 meant. It's the same exactly as our word today, helper. A help who is meet or a helper who is appropriate to the husband. The word appropriate or meet means who corresponds to him at every point. So your job is to bring a corresponding kind of help. That is, whatever it is that he ought to be doing in leadership that you ought to be helping him to do, you should bring that kind of help to the situation, whether he assumes the leadership or not. If you can help remind him in, uh, uh, by bringing the Bible to the table that it should be read and prayer should be offered at night, then be sure that it's there every night. Don't wait for him to search for it or forget about it. Just have it there and quietly and silently and helpfully have it on the table. Encourage him that way. Bring help. Don't take leadership. And if you're all that much smarter than he is, as some of you think that you are, and maybe you really are, you shouldn't have any trouble staying out of the first place and putting yourself right into that place of leadership. It ought to be easy for you to find a spot of helping rather than a spot of dominating. This is the key. Be what you can be. And of course, you may help him by constructive criticism. Help is not just bringing Bibles or washing dishes or washing clothes. Help means help intellectually. 
It, it means help morally. It means help on every level. If he needs to be rebuked and if he needs to be criticized, you need to learn how to do this in love. Oh, what a difference it is to do it in love and to do it in some other way. You ask others in your church, ask your pastor, ask other women whom you respect what it means to speak in love. Find out what that means. And before you go and rebuke, before you go with any constructive criticism so-called, be sure that you understand how to speak in love and how to approach another in love. I think that if you come to him in love helpfully, you can encourage almost any Christian man to assume more and more of that leadership every day. Why not go to work on it? Lord, help wives to be helpers and husbands to be leaders, we pray. For Christ's sake, amen.